podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Support for this podcast comes from the patrons at patreon.com slash fmlfpl. Welcome to another FML Field Fireside Chat. I'm pleased to welcome journalist, broadcaster, Manchester United supporter, writer for The Athletic, Carl Inca. Hello, how are you? I should have asked you before we started if it's Anka or Anka, so I fucked up already, I guess. <laughs> Anka, Anka, as in Paul Anka. Um, yeah, yeah, I get many jokes about being lost in the bottom of the sea, and when... <laughs> Uh, football fans don't like what I write. They stick a W in front of my surname. So, oh, that's actually nice and convenient. Yeah. I mean, I hope uh, we don't yeah. get there, but yeah, I see that. So um, how you doing? How's your FPL season going? How's your first athletic season going? What What's up? Second, second athletic season. Oh, so shit. I was, okay. Uh, I was at the athletic soccer last season. Manchester United. Um and now the Athletic UK has launched. I am the Southampton reporter for the Athletic. It's going really, really well. Um, people seem to like us. <laughs> people seem to like us. People want to subscribe. Uh, people seem to enjoy the fact that you're getting in-depth coverage of every single team in the Premier League. And uh, I think six in the Championship as well. Um, we've got some of the best football writers in the country, if not in the planet. Well, if not in on the English-speaking planet. Yeah, the English-speaking planet. That's key, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've spent enough time uh, working with Brazilians and uh, Spanish people in South America to understand that I have to specify English-speaking planet when I talk <laughs> about the best in the world and whatnot. Um, so, when, so, yeah, things, things, things seem to go well. We are all averaging around about two to three articles a week, but the idea is if we write less, we write higher quality. So uh, if you haven't already, please check us out. You can get a free trial um, for a month. Um, my, my big thing is even if you don't like soccer, there is going to be something on that website for you because the coverage of all sports is really, really good. So if you see an article there that takes your fancy, don't go, oh, maybe. Go in. Dive in. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I can vouch for it as well. It's, it's super good and covers all the sports that I follow, so it's nice. But um, I was curious, so like when you got the Southampton job, first thing you do is what? You start looking for flats in Southampton or like are you just reading the history of Southampton? Like how much catch up did you have to do to kind of like earn the respect of the Southampton supporters and know your shit, you know? Uh, well, I, I don't know if I've earned it yet. Okay, uh, it's an ongoing process. Uh, I'll say uh, I'm I'm still learning. Uh, so what I did was I got I got the offer with more or less six weeks before the end of the UK transfer window. Uh, so yep. I spent the majority of those four weeks uh, looking for an apartment in Southampton, which mm. is harder than it looks because Southampton's it's very hard to move to a city with two universities in it in the middle mm. of summer because all the, all the students want to move. Right. So we did that. And then once I moved in, uh, you know, I had two weeks in an apartment with no internet access and I had to learn I could have a football team. So what's the first thing you do? <laughs> you load up FIFA. <laughs> so uh, I loaded up FIFA. I loaded up FIFA 19, uh, started career mode, put on the highest difficulty. So, you want, you know, you want to make sure 
you were getting a a relatively realistic thing. I didn't want to fudge it and try and use my superior FIFA skills to, <laughs> to compensate for any 63 rated reserve team players I had in the squad. So I did around like a season and a half of FIFA 19. I played a little bit of football manager. Uh, I have made an effort to go out and talk to the official historians of Southampton Football Club. So there are four of them. Wow. I've met three of them now. Um, and they have been really, really helpful. I've, right now, as I'm recording this, I'm staring at five different Southampton books um, that go from pre-war all the way up until 2012. Wow. When Southampton just returned to the Premier League. So there is a lot to learn. Uh, I thought I was doing quite well, and the League Cup draw gave me Southampton versus Portsmouth uh, at the end of the month, which is Southampton's it's the big derby for them. So now I'm trying to learn as much as I can uh, in 20 days before the big derby game as Southampton. It's good. It's fun. The way I describe it is it's a bit like I've gone back to university. That's exactly what I was about to say. My degree is Southampton Football Club. So that's the fun bit. <laughs> yeah, that's way more fun than uh, most other things you can study there. Cool. Um, well, I guess we should just start with, with Southampton stuff. We got we got listener questions and stuff like that. And this first one is, is a bit of a long one, but it's from a Southampton supporter. He says, Ozzy on Slack, he said, Carl, to what extent do you think there's a psychological problem at Southampton? As a fan, it feels like since Pellegrino took over, there's been a lack of belief from the players, regardless of the 11, leading to conceding late winners and throwing games away. I'm keen to know whether you think that's a thing you found in your reporting or it's just a case of the squad steadily weakening over time and results wor- worsening accordingly. Ooh, that is a good question. Yeah. Uh, I think it's six of one and half a dozen of the other. So, uh, obviously, they're, 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 there's, you know, Southampton were the, the height of the Premier League's middle class under Ronald Koeman. So, you know, Pochettino and Ronald Koeman established Southampton as seventh eight best team in the in the country so sort of you've got the top six then yeah. you've got like a, a, a relegation six and then you've got your middle class like little chunking of eight and then on the Kuman and Pochettino they were seventh they were eighth they were playing European League football and then Kuman left Claude Poole came in Poole statistically was getting a lot from a squad of players that weren't as good as previous Southampton sides but the quality of the football was very unimpressive. Like <laughs> you don't need to explain well to us. We from a yeah, right. from a fantasy perspective is a nightmare. <laughs> just none of yeah. their players being viable at all, and just horrible matches to watch. And I'm sure Leicester City fans will agree now as well. Yes, Paul will get you comfortable mid-table results, but he's not. It's not going to be pleasant to watch. Um, so Puel did well doing that, and once Puel left, you got Pellegrino. Am I saying that right? I always get these him confused with the West Ham manager. Yeah, Pellegrino. Pellegrino, uh, who played bad football and got bad results. Uh, and I think there was a lot of mistakes made under his tenure, um, both on the pitch and in terms of player recruitment and whatnot, that Mark Hughes, who is not a good football manager anymore, Ugh, yeah. um, he patched up for a little bit in... in so Southampton fans will say, oh, he kept Southampton up. Like, eh, kind of. I mean, it was more other football teams around them were worse. Um, and I think it's only now on the Ralph Hassel that they're beginning to, to, to have a clear plan again, both on the pitch and off the pitch in terms of recruitment, that they're beginning to fix. I wouldn't say there's a mental fragility to them. I'd say there is uh, a distinct lack of 
there, there is, there's, there's, a, there's a lack of a proper goal scorer at Southampton and there has been since the departure of Graziano Pelle. Um, so Southampton are frequently one of the better mid, like mid-table quality sides in terms of um, chance creation and uh, are very good in terms of possessions and passing to the final third. But in terms of the ball in the back of the net, they finish like a relegation side, which is yeah. why it looks... Why it looks it very often looks as if they're just crumbling away when what actually happens is they tend to dominate games for 60 minutes and the other team goes all right fine bang it's not really crumbling it's uh, I, I think I described it on Twitter on uh, at half time after United Southampton are very much like the bookish kid who learnt karate in the summer and then they went off and tried to fight a bully and a bully went your shoes are untied and the kid went <laughs> down and punched in the mouth when it was distracted <laughs> uh, so oh, that's, that's so sad. That's what it feels like watching Southampton. But it's getting better. Uh, the, the great thing about this Southampton side and about Ralph Hasselhoff is they have a very, very clear plan. They have a very clear plan. Hasselhoff has his uh, entrenched tactical view and he's trying to get Southampton to play that. And it's getting there. And it will probably be complete with maybe two more transfer windows. But in the meantime, quite fun to watch a team that wants to play intense, pressing, tactical football do that but also mess up every now and again. Right. Like, oh, that's what I'm trying to do. And oh, that's why it goes wrong. Right, right, right. Yeah, just growing pains, I guess. It's kind of weird that he started the season still in the back three and didn't, you know, like you would think all off season they would be working on that four two 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 and and come straight out the gates with it in, in the first, you know, game week of the season. But yeah, I don't know. But we got we got Aaron and Brad also asking just why can't Che score? Just on the note of goal scores, it seems like Che Adams has had like sort of a rough start, missing big chances. Like, do you believe or what, what's the deal with Che Adams? He's in my fantasy team. He's been oh in there since the start God. of the season. Um, so one of my very first articles for the Athletic was was you know I, I talked to his uh, former coaches and. Uh, people that brought him through non-league football. So Shea Adams was released at the age of 14 um, from Coventry City. Wow. And then worked his way up from non-league, which is it's an incredible come up and like how he's now in the Premier League. And obviously researching all this, reading all about him, watching all this stuff in Bright- at Birmingham, I'm like, this kid's, this kid's legit. Um, and like you look at the statistical X- XG and stuff and he, he scored 22 goals in the championship. Yeah. And they weren't off like hard chances that he was just getting really lucky on he really left foot right foot knows when to pop up in the right areas uh, and he's doing that for Southampton right now left foot right foot popping up in the right areas getting chances but those chances just aren't coming yet he had he had one good one against United where you know he blazed it right over the bar and you're like ah you're snatching at that shot yeah you're not quite if if you're a bit calmer and if you and if you weren't so worried about your first goal that would go in quite easily I, I'm I'm not going to take him out. He's in my fantasy team. He's six million, um, and I'm keeping him because Southampton's next two games are against Sheffield United and against Bournemouth, um, and then they have to play Spurs and they have to play Chelsea back to back. So I'm I'm going to persist with him for two more games at uh, the very least. So Chuck like just on that note said he he was asking which teams and styles does Southampton flourish against? For example, what fixtures should we be looking? looking for considering Southampton attackers. So do you see those two as really good Southampton matches for, you know, Che Adams and the other attackers? Yes. I think any team that wants to play counter-attacking football or wants to play passing football, possession football, is a very good fit for Southampton's attack. So what they do is Southampton press 
in a in a four two two two. Um, that front six can be quite narrow, but what they do is they try, they drift left and right as a six-man conglomerate to f- try and force a lot of throw-ins. Um, that's good if you're playing against a team that wants to counterattack because they're really strong. Well, in theory, they're quite strong in the middle with Romeo and Hoiberg, so they're going to so they're like right, we're not going to counterattack because we're going to foul you if you want to get a counterattack. Um, and if you're a possession side like like uh, Bournemouth, they're like right, we're just going to hem you in with our press. Um, they encountered a lot of trouble against Burnley because Burnley went, oh, you're going to try and press us. We're just going to play over it. Hello. Yeah. Um, and, then, and they had a little bit of trouble against Liverpool because Liverpool were, oh, you're going to try and press us. We're just going to pass through the press because we've got some of the best players in Europe. Um, but anyone, I think, I'm not going to say there's a top six anymore. I'm always going to say there's like a top two, yeah, a three after that. And then there's <laughs> one team that is like odd. You um, could say top six, come on. Yeah, I'd say every team outside the top six uh, that doesn't play primary long ball football, Southampton should be good against. So uh, I'd say the only teams you should worry about Southampton playing against are the top six, Leicester, Burnley. Yeah, there's not many other like long ball teams anymore, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Leicester is not, they're not a long ball team. They're just a supremely effective counter-attacking side. Yeah, um, and then Burnley is you know Burnley likes to play agricultural football when needs be <laughs> agriculture. Yeah, uh, man, I, I hope Jay Adams comes good because there was a lot of belief in our like Patreon Slack channel when he was first coming up that he's the gem, like he's the cheap striker we've we've needed. But so uh, outside of Jay Adams, who are your sort of who would be your like favorite FPL picks from Southampton? Uh, Musa Janepo. Is gonna be a cracking player. He's he's a yeah. What's the deal with him? Tell tell us about him. He is Saudi Mane esque. I mean, he's already been compared to Saudi Mane. Um, so picked up by from Sander Liege for thirteen million this summer. Scored eleven goals for uh, in the Belgium league last season. I think he picked up six assists. Um, primarily plays on the left in that not quite a winger, not quite a forward position the inside forward thing yeah where he likes to cut inside and have a lot of shots he scores a lot of goals inside the penalty area so while that goal against Brighton was a lot of fun he, he very likes the Thierry Henry open up your body and curl it into the corner finish mm. um I reckon he's going to be one that so Southampton haven't had someone who scored double figure Premier League goals inside their money left wow which Jeez. is that's brutal. Yeah, <laughs> that is yeah. brutal. Uh, their top scorer last season was uh, James Ward-Prowse with seven goals. I was going to guess Redmond with around six. So it was probably close. Yeah, Redmond, yeah. Redmond got six and and four assists. Interestingly, Redmond only started scoring or assisting at all last season, um, which is one of those. And I think yeah, it's about time Southampton had a player that scored ten goals this season. And I think Musa and Shea Adams are, are their best bets. Um, so Musa will be again. Well, he took a, he had a muscle muscle knock after the League Cup game against Fulham, but I think he's going to be fit again for Sheffield United. So um, I, my my advice is to to watch the press conference on the Thursday when we're all back from international break, and if he's fit and if he's six million, have a go. All right, that's interesting. Definitely one to watch. And then what about the what about the fullbacks? Like, what's going on with Bertrand? Is it? An injury, or is there something more than an injury? And then it was sort of surprising to see Cedric included over Valerie at the weekend. Uh, so Yann and Valerie picked up uh, really, he got a really hefty tackle 
against Brighton in the Brighton 2 0 victory uh, last week, last Saturday. Mm. Um, and I think he wasn't risked in the League Cup game and he wasn't risked on Saturday against Manchester United. And I think Valerie's going to be one player who he'll, Valerie will most likely make a return um, after the international break. He's not the most expansive right back in the world. Uh, and I think that's his own uh, passing range and uh, technical ability to two parts how Southampton play. So they are very dominant on the left. They, they really traditionally has always been Birchford and Redmond steaming down the attack on the left-hand side and doing something. If you look at Optus stats, they they attack something like 45% down the left compared wow. to 33%. Right? Like they're, they are a, they are a left-sided. Most Premier League teams are. Yeah, lot, lopsided in some way, yeah. Yeah, Manchester United are very lopsided down the left. I think it's because, um, well, more Premier League teams play one striker up top, but what they do is they make whoever's playing wide left an auxiliary striker who sort of cuts inside. Cuts in on the right foot, yeah. And I think Southampton did that for a while. Redmond at the moment for two to three weeks. He, in theory, should be back for the end of September. But I think the League Cup game against Portsmouth possibly complicates things. I don't think they're going to rush him back if they can hold on to him for a little bit further. Um, So... I think they'll balance things out. So I think Musa's going to get Musa Janepo is going to get a couple of runs games on the left, and then the right will play again in that conservative style. So Jan Vary wouldn't be my pick for a fullback, not because I think he's a bad player, but because I think he's very much used as a safety blanket. Yeah. For what's very interesting is he's very often the last man on corner kicks for Southampton. So when a Southampton have a corner kick, um, Valerie is normally the man standing on the centre circle, mm. just in case attack starts because he's like right I have to stop this um, it's him and one more so maybe not Valerie on the left back uh, as far as I know and please pay attention to the sound of my voice <laughs> as far as I know Ryan Bertrand uh, had an ankle, ankle injury and uh, he has trained with the side recently but they are monitoring the situation and uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, that's that. that. We know that's all we know. So that's what we know. That's all I know. That's all I know, and that's all I can report upon. Gotcha. Uh, and anything else is hearsay, and I'm a journalist, so therefore I cannot report otherwise. Um, Understandable. So that's that. Ryan Bertrand is, I think he's some. I think he's the second highest productive member of Southampton's attack. Again, they are primarily down the left. He makes a lot of forays into the final third. He plays a lot of passes into the final third. He makes a lot of crosses into the final third. Not many of them are being converted. Not anything to do with his crossing ability, but more to do with inefficiencies at striker. Right. Um, that possibly can change if he develops a partnership with Shea Adams or Danny Ings or Shane Long. But I think the interesting thing for, for Southampton right now is Kevin Danzo, the new low-knee centre-back who can now fill in at left-back. So Danzo was signed on transfer deadline day on a one-year loan deal from Augsburg. It very much looks like Southampton want to keep, keep him. He's 20 years of age. He's six foot three. He's fairly quick. He can also play at the left. He can also play it as a number eight in midfield, as a box-to-box. Um, he might be the real deal. Right. I know it's only a couple of games, but he might be the real deal. He was really important in the United game. And so he fielding at left back, which is not he's not his preferred position. He also played at left back against Brighton. He's really comfortable on the ball, quite tidy, makes good passes, 
can dribble but understands when to not dribble. Um, pretty good in the air. And then against United, it was Buffal against Juan Bissaka on the left-hand side. You know, you've got Buffal, a player who loves 1v1 duels versus Juan Bissaka, who is what? Okay, you can try and get past him. <laughs> it's his ideal, right? That's all Juan Bissaka wants to do. So for the first 45 minutes, it was quite difficult. And then Danso basically went, oh, in the second half, Danso started to overlap Buffal. And very, very slowly, Juan Bissaka well, oh no, I've got like to deal with two of those people. How do I deal with this? This brought Lindelof out of position at centre-back. And there, Southampton really, really began to get a foothold into the game. Obviously, Danzo got the assist for Vestergaard's goal. So the corner came in yep. from the left-hand side. Danzo popped up on the right, whipped in a big looping cross onto Vestergaard's head. So, you know, now you can see Danzo's passing technique. But uh, he got sent off, didn't he? Uh, second yellow card. Yeah. One thing you will, talk about, you will notice about Southampton is their wide players are going to get a lot of yellow cards this season, which is my FPL warning. Just sort of uh, tactical fouling on the counters and stuff like that? Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they play quite narrow as a side, uh, which means they are very prone to, to counterattacks over the top in wide areas. And so to stop that, Southampton enjoy quite a nice little nibble at the uh, mm-hmm. at the ankles to stop this. So they will get... Musa janepo has got two yellow cards in about 50 minutes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> play for Southampton and Kevin Danzo now has had I think he's got four in three games so uh, watch out super bad for a fail yeah 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 as a warning watch out there got it all right so let's let's transfer to talking about United I mean for me you just mentioned Lindelof I was I was thinking about Lindelof because all I heard from Manchester United supporters all last season is how good he is and how he's like top class and like blah, blah, blah. And I feel like he's already been exposed several times this season in the air or maybe on the break. So what's going on with Lindelof? Like, is he, is it the fact that they, they signed Maguire and so now he's sort of the weakest link and he's being targeted or is he just off to a rough start or what's going on with Lindelof? What do you think about him? So I wrote this for the athletic um, last season about Lindelof when he looked as if he turned a corner. And I use the example of um, Southampton's back four um, throughout the years. And I said, if you look at Southampton's defence, they had a back four once of uh, Luke Shaw, Jose Font, Alderweireld, and Nathaniel Klein. And then ahead of those, it was Victor Wanyama and Morgan Schneiderlin. Luke Shaw went, defence held. Klein went, defence held. Alderweireld went, defence held. Lovren came in and went, defence held. Wanyama went, defence held. Schneiderlin went, defence held. Virgil van Dijk came in and went, defence held. And I was like, what? What? How is this defence holding? Jose Font left. Nightmare. Um, And it's the thing that the standard of defending in world football is better than it's ever been before, I think. So anyone that goes, oh, defending was better in the 90s, I think that's a... Nonsense. I think every centre-back nowadays is better than every centre-back that's ever been before because they're fitter, they're stronger, they're all more tactically erudite. I think what the problem is, is defenders are now required to do more than a defender has ever had to do in their life. Right. And they're facing strikers who are capable of running 13 kilometres and doing XYZ take-ons. So it's never been... defenders. Have ne- the quality of defending has never been better. I think we make a lot of very good defenders play football that makes them look very stupid very easily 
So Font looked great at Southampton. And then he went to West Ham and Bilic went, hey, we're going to play with a high line. And Font went, oh no. <laughs> we're going to isolate you against every attacker. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're going to play you on a high line. He's like, don't do that. I'm very bad at that. Uh, and it looked very similar with Lindelof. You know, Lindelof came in. He looked very, very rough. The idea was he was going to be the part, neat and tidy passing defender. And Eric Bayer was going to be the head everything and be like the Nemanja Vidic style thing. And it didn't really work. Partly because Bayer was quite injured and Lindelof seemed unconfident. And then he, he really didn't look like he turned a corner. He really looked as if Chris Smalling and Lindelof was going to be the... Yeah. Well, it ended up being the the best centre back partnership. It was, you know, it wasn't great, and I wouldn't say it was Champions League quality, but it seemed very good. And I think when people go, "What's happened to Victor Lindelof?" Well, bear in mind, he's only just got Harry Maguire next to him. This is their third game together, right? Right. This is their third game together. Harry Maguire didn't get a preseason at Manchester United, did he? No preseason for Harry Maguire. He spent his entire preseason at Leicester, being very, very professional. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to take time to like build a centre-back partnership. And I think Lindelof is relatively young for a centre-back. And centre-back is one of those positions where you just need to put in the right amount of repetitions and just understand, if I stand here, the other person's going to stand here and let's do this. Uh, he's, he wouldn't be my... I would not... I've got Harry Maguire in, in my FPL team right now. And he's going to be... I'm going to be selling Harry Maguire. Yeah, I don't want any Manchester United defenders yeah, in my FPL yeah. team. Who do you I'm, like Who do you like it going forward for... Uh, you know, what attackers do you... Or midfielders or forwards do you like for Manchester United in, in FPL? Uh... Anthony Martial was a, a very good yeah. choice. 7.8 million. Uh, his ownership rate wasn't too high. And also, also he was playing nominally as a second forward. Yeah, he was su- super trendy. Yeah, He was fun and then he broke. So I had to sell him. And I've done some jiggery-pokery to get in a Bernardo Silva, which in theory is an upgrade. But as Man. every FPL manager knows, you cannot trust Pep Guardiola. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're not huge Bernardo fans for FPL, but... I understand it. Super good player, but FPL, eh, not so much. Mm. Not as good as Martial. Not not playing number nine for sure. What about um? What about Rashford? What about James? Uh, James is getting a little bit of hype now. Daniel James is good, and he he's uh he's scoring at a rate that I don't think is sustainable. But he's going to pick the ball up a lot on that left-hand side, and he very much seems to have Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's favour. So, providing his ownership stays low and his price doesn't rise above eight million, I'd have him as a pick. I think one of those things will change. Um, at the moment, I would put Daniel James on the same midfield level as Mason Mount. Mason Mount, something like six point one million for Chelsea yeah. right now. He's playing as a ten. I don't think at the end of the season Daniel James is going to score or get more assists than Mason Mount. So, I don't think. You should be paying eight million for Daniel James. Yeah, he, well, he's only six, I think, but yeah, that's basically the same price as Mount. It makes sense. Um, all right, I have a a bit of a heavy question here because we have a lot of United supporters in our in our Patreon Slack. But Dave wrote in, and he's a United supporter. He said, "Do you think Ole is the right man for the job at United, and how how have United improved under Ole, if at all?" Hoo-hoo. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. This is a tasty question. <laughs> right. And you can curse on this pod, you know, or not some like official, you know, you do whatever you need to do. Let me let me get these questions in a row. Well, so the first question was Is Ole the right man for the job? 
Absolutely not. What he was was a feel-good manager who got some very good, well, who got lucky, who, well, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was a feel-good manager who took a team of almost Champions League quality to play at a Champions League quality level for 15 games. And then he got given a job. He's not the best man for the job. Uh, I've said this before. Manchester United have given the job of rebuilding their side in one of the biggest rebuilds Manchester United has ever needed. And you've, put, you've given that responsibility to a man who is less qualified than the manager of Southampton. Right. Like, you've got to bear in mind of all the, man- of all the managers who were available um, that summer. It's remarkable they gave it to Ollie. And I understand why. And it was a formality once the, P- once the PSG game was done. The moment that PSG tie was over, I went, well, he's got the job. Yeah. I don't want to get the job, but here we are. Um, I was always of the opinion that Manchester United should have got Pochettino, if not because the fact that Pochettino was a good manager, but because it also like get like blitzes Tottenham Hotspur. Um, I'm a big fan of the Bayern Munich method of not only should you strengthen yourself, but you should weaken <laughs> your rivals at the other time. Exactly. Uh, and I went, yeah, you, you, know, you, you know, I said Manchester United could have easily tripled Pochettino's wages. You should have at least tried to do it. Um, but no, they got Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And the fact they announced it before the end of the season was very uh, interesting. I, I will tweet this intimately throughout the season, but where is Manchester United's director of football? Nowhere to be found. Yeah, they, they said they were going to get, uh, they were going to have a temporary manager, an interim manager, um, and then at the end of the summer and during the summer, they're going to get a permanent manager and then we're going to get a director of football. And all I've got is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer trying his best and I'm saying many, many things that sound good, but just ain't going to happen. Um, so I don't think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the best person for the job. I think he's doing an okay job. Yeah. Uh, I think he's doing an okay job with what he's got. I don't think he's a particularly astute coach. I think he's got him. He surrounded himself by very good coaches or very good coaches in the United method. So bringing back Mike Feeden was an inspired choice. And there and there are times when Manchester United do play good football that it looks almost like a store brand version of a, of a Ferguson side. So almost like a store brand version of an Alex <laughs> Ferguson side. <laughs> uh, if you need that many qualifiers, it's not going well. Yeah, so, yeah. Second, I think one of, one of the interesting things about Solskjaer is, um, so you said, how has he improved the United? Well, that's uh, that's the second part of the question, yeah. So how has he improved United? Well, first thing, he, he recognizes that Manchester United's best asset is their speed in attack. So he has turned a Manchester United side into a, a primarily counter-attacking one. So when they, when they do play good football, Man United don't have a great defense. They've got... David Ayer, who used to be one of the best goalkeepers in the world and is now maybe top 10. Um, so he's like, right, De Gea, you have to save everything while this defence tries to sort itself out. They've got Paul Pogba, who is trying to do the job of three men and is often just getting swamped in midfield. And they basically gone, Paul Pogba, you're going to get maybe 30 minutes a game to dominate. In those 30 minutes, get to Martial and Rashford as soon as possible and try and score. And if they can score, they win. And if they can't, they lose or draw. And that's what's going to happen all season. I didn't have United in the top six in, in the Champions League spaces. And I don't think they're going to be in the Champions League spaces in the season. I don't think so. Well, I think there's a very good chance Solskjaer will be fired by Christmas. But I think 
Solskjaer is doing a very, very good job of making himself, of positioning himself as a martyr for United, for United fans, where he's basically like, look, lads, I know what's going on at this club. This is going to take a while. Let me get rid of all the players you don't like and we're going to be bad for a little bit, but please have faith that we're going to be bad for a little bit. And I think that's going to work for now. Right. One big tactical thing that I do like Solskjaer doing is he very often plays two up top away from home. Yeah, Rashford and Martial. Yes, yes. So he does what is known as the, um, this was termed by Pat Nevin and Daniel Story as the split striker system. So you have Marcus Rashford and Martial in not quite a 4-4-2. So it's a, normally a, a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1. And it's a bit like a bike handlebar system. So uh, if you're, you know, when you're riding a bicycle, if you want to turn the bicycle right, you put the right handlebar forward and the left handlebar tucks inside. Yeah. And that's how, so the right-hand side, the attacker goes forward and joins Rashford. And those two become the front two. And the left-sided guy drops back and becomes a 4-4-2. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they go down the left, the similar thing happens. Um, they used that a lot last season. And that was really, really important to their key, to like to that little bump last season when Solskjaer was winning a lot of games was because he basically United were playing for a two up top away from home. And they're like, what? We've never had this before. This is fun. <laughs> Get, yeah, getting those, those 1v1s against the center backs. That makes sense. However, that said, I've got a stat for you about United's away record. Okay. Um, they are winless in eight away matches in all competitions. Oof. So they've drawn three and lost five. This is their worst run um, without a win. Uh, since April and November 2014. So wow. this the, the main way Solskjaer improved Manchester United has been figured out a bit. So uh, you hate to see that, yeah. yeah you hate to see it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Al on Sykes said, "Who's worse, Frank or Ole?" Oh, that's mean. <laughs> <laughs> our, you know, our listeners are cutthroat. There's no way around uh, it. Frank was Frank should never happen at Crystal Palace. And Frank is sort of well. Oh, oh I, he means he means Lampard. He means Lampard. Oh, oh, I thought he was one of De Boer. De Boer, De Boer is worse than everyone. That's not even a conversation. Uh, I mean, Frank Lampard. You know, ooh. I'll take Ollie over Frank right now. Frank Lampard. Well, people are like, oh, Frank Lampard almost got Derby promoted. I'm like, well, look at that squad. That was one of the best squads in the Championship. They should not have been. Ooh, we almost got to the playoff final. They should have finished second, frankly. Yeah, I actually had not thought about that. But now that you bring it up, I'm thinking about the current Chelsea team and the players that were on the Derby team. And I'm like, what? They had a very, very, very stacked squad. And he got them playing to 80% of their level. Which, you know, he's he's a new manager. Whereas Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has a eh, squad. And he's got them playing to... Eh, levels. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say this Manchester United side is performing below their level. I'd say Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has gone, well, look at this team. What do you want me to do? And everyone's gone, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's big thing is, I think the really interesting thing about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's tenure, and we're going to look at these three years, if he lasts three years, is basically his entire job is to make United fans understand they're not title challengers anymore. Right. Not perennial title challengers, at least. Yeah, not going to be perennial Champions League contenders anymore. And if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer can make Manchester United fans understand that, then his tenure will be viewed as a success. 
in hindsight. That's fucking dark, though. God damn. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes um, you go to like, that level no more. <laughs> yeah, that's true. This is from my um, pod partner. He said, I would like an assessment of Pogba and McTominay double pivot early doors. And if, and if Carl thinks it's going to work or improve as the season goes. Yeah, you, got, you got the sound effect. <laughs> Paul Pogba has not. I feel so sorry for Paul Pogba. It's I was so, such I mean, a I shitty situation for him. I was there on Saturday at St. Mary's and I was in the mix zone and Pogba walked past the mix zone and he was very clearly limping because he picked up an injury. Yeah. And there was... Like he was trying to get on the bus and he like was poking his head out from like around the coach, but he didn't want to get on the coach. And I think he was maybe waiting for a car. And he was like, I don't, like he had the look on his face where he didn't want to really be seen by many people. Yeah. I'm like, man, think about it. Paul Pogba has been, is a perfect professional, right? He doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. He said it might be nice to have a new challenge. And then he stayed quiet. Whereas I think if he had really pushed it, he'd have been at Real Madrid right now. And, you could see it on Saturday. Paul Pogba wants to be in Madrid right now where it's nice and sunny and he's exchanging passes with Luka Modric and he gets to, he gets to hang out with Eden Hazard. And if that's not going on, uh, Karen Benzema's going to tell him a crazy story and I'm going to have fun on Instagram or whatnot. And if that's not there, Tony Cruz like, hey, how you doing? Don't worry. And if that's not happening, watch out and tell him a joke, right? That's what he wants to be doing. Except that... That's what most people want to be doing. And you know what he's doing right now? He's exchanging three-yard passes with Andreas, Skomatomene, and Juan Mata. Ugh. Ugh. I feel so sorry for him. <laughs> but the good thing for him, and maybe this this helps him get to sleep at night, is that Real Madrid looked bad and have started really poorly. And he's just like, ah, well, wouldn't have been going that well anyway. But I don't know. Oh, yo. Well, it's, it's right, isn't it? Real Madrid doesn't look very good, but... In every, there's every chance that Sabias, well, Sabias is going back to Real Madrid next season. Yeah. And they're going to pull Pogba. So they're like, oh no, how are we going to replace Luka Modric and Tony Cruz? How about Sabias and Pogba? Yeah, there you go. It's a sweet pivot. Okay, um, here's here's no, another. Have, hang on. I, to answer the question. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no faith in Scott McTominay as a, as a defensive midfielder. I have no idea what he offers other than hard work, which should not put you in a Manchester United midfield he's not he's not he doesn't have a great passing range he's not particularly uh defensively astute um he's not particularly good in the air he hasn't got a really good shot on him his positioning is okay he's not a great man marker the fact that he's on the new cover of pro-revolution soccer um 2020 is he hilarious. is yeah yeah Scott McSauce with uh oh on the front with two other stars he Best case scenario, Scott McTominay somehow transforms himself into the next Darren Fletcher. That's not going to happen. Rough. Rough. Sorry. Uh, no, no, I, I'm not a Manchester United supporter, but I just feel the, I feel your pain and frustration. Um, here's another one to, to get you worked up about. What is Jesse Lingard? Why is he good and why is he bad? Okay. I <laughs> I hope I'm not like triggering you too much. Like it sounds no, like a lot of work. No, I'm fine. Okay, um, I okay. Like um, okay. I this, so we, we had a we had a big thing on the athletic last season where we went, who's gonna be in the Manchester United captain next season? And we looked at it and went and I said, Look, there have been five players last season who had captained Manchester United. 
And I said, Ashley Young, who doesn't start next season because United are going to get a fullback. David De Gea, who probably wants to leave. Paul Pogba, who probably wants to leave. Chris Smalling, who probably wants to leave. Um, and I think who else was there? Uh, and Antonio Valencia, who left. Who fell off the face of the planet, yeah. Yeah, and I said there were five players who captained Man United. One of them probably is not going to start. I said two of them probably aren't going to start games, Chris Smalling and Ashley Young. And I said two of them kind of want to leave, David De Gea and Paul Pogba, and one of them is going to leave. So I went, who's going to be the next United captain? I looked at it and went, well, Ander Herrera would have been a great choice, but Ander Herrera is leaving. And I said, Victor Lindelof's too young. Rashford's too young. And I went, it's Jesse Lingard, isn't it? And I wrote, I wrote this article for the Athletic and I said, it was really weird for me to say, but Jesse Lingard is probably the best candidate for the Manchester United captaincy. And a lot of Manchester United fans said, I had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> I said, no, look at it. Jesse Lingard is good friends with Marcus Rashford. He's fairly good mates with Paul Pogba. He is comfortable playing as a false nine on the left, on the right, or in the middle of a midfield. Um, and he is fairly comfortable riding the bench. So if you want to make a club captaincy thing and have a guy who's always going to be there and you know he doesn't want to leave and he's a fairly senior member of the squad because despite Jesse Lingard's behavior on the internet he is 27 years old <laughs> um i said jesse lingard is a good choice and then everyone went i'm an idiot and then i've seen jesse lingard and i'm like jesse lingard hasn't scored or assisted in a long time yeah there was that viral tweet i think from duncan alexander it was like yes month by month like has he scored or assisted no 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 no. one month he had all of his goals and all of his assists and then no 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 i think the idea, well, Jesse Lingard's strengths are he is, uh, well, he's got one, he's got the right legacy. So he's been at United since the age of nine, maybe before the age of nine. So he's got the right legacy. He has no inclination to ever leave because he knows I've made it. He like, worked his way up through all the youth levels, did his, earned his bones at, at loan and whatnot. Yeah. And he does take matches like, quite seriously. So he's got that. He is a fairly good passer. He is a very, very good runner, very diligent, off the ball. As on the ball, hmm, hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think Jesse Lingard's main strength is he's, he's quite a fun as a false nine because he's, he's quite good if you want to have a false nine in press. But he doesn't score at regular rate. He doesn't assist at regular rate. So is it worth having a player on your books, paying him a hundred grand thousand pound a week because he's best mates with two of your best players and he's good at pressing? Probably not. Probably not. Probably not if you want to win the league. Like you could probably get back if you want to win the league. But I would. I never want him sold because he's always a very good squad option. Right. Yeah. He can. He's versatile well, he's enough and play everywhere. He's a very yeah. Good versatile squad option. Like in a Champions League side, you can see him being a really good guy on the bench. Like yes. start start some games rarely. Good sub in multiple positions. Yeah, I could see that. All right, well, maybe he'll get there. Maybe maybe United will get there. This is the um, last United question. So, a really good point. Uh, so the England squad was announced mm. um, recently, and uh, Gareth Southgate picked Jesse Lingard, to which everyone went, what? Have you not seen his league? <laughs> and I think what was really interesting um, about this is Gareth Southgate has been quite open about the fact that he will pick players in bad club form for England as a way to like give him a boost and give him a G up. And he's been quite open of, you know, 
England is a family and if you're not doing so well with your club and you need to be in a different scenario where you want to be surrounded by people that encourage you um, and you want to talk to a manager who wants to talk to you back, I will pick you for England because this is this is how England DNA works. And right. Southgate has been very open about that. Uh, and I believe, um, obviously, Lingard got picked and they were very much, is, is Lingard an example of you doing this? And Southgate was, um, well, <laughs> kind of. Uh, well, Southgate made worse the effect of this might be the last time. The last time I do that for him, oh. if he doesn't start doing better. But um, I believe, yes, I believe Lingard right now is in the England squad because Southgate wants to like hug him, which is nice, isn't it? I mean, I I guess that explains why Barkley's in the squad as well. So I, at least I have that explanation too. Yes. Um, this is the last Manchester United question I have, which is how is Manchester United going to generate attack when they can't play on the break and what's, what's wrong there? So like against the low block we've seen, you know, in the last two matches, United are not really getting multiple good chances or lots of shots off or anything like that. So how are they, what's the, what would be like the plan for that or how could they adapt to that? Uh, I mean, the plan for that is is quite unfortunate because they sold him to China, didn't they? <laughs> I mean, the, the plan was you, you launch it into flames. Lump it, yeah, yeah, right. Like, you, they sold they sold Lukaku, they sold Fellaini, so you can't pump in crosses because Martial, Rashford, Martial and Rashford aren't good in the air, and Daniel James is tiny. Um, there's a really good article on uh, The Athletic about this today from Adam Crafton explaining the fact that Manchester United need a plan B, but they don't really have one. So I think what's going to happen is basically Solskjaer needs to get really good in his plan A, which is how do I help Paul Pogba? Um, which, I mean, fingers crossed something happens from Fred. Oh man, Fred. I forgot he even existed. Basically, Manchester United right now are hoping Fred can turn into the player that Pep Guardiola was very interested in. Because if it doesn't happen... Just like Alexis. Mm. Yeah, like Manchester United are short up top. And uh, I have no idea why they didn't buy another sentiment midfielder in the summer. That's negligence bordering... That's incompetence bordering on negligence. As far as I'm concerned. Oh, man. Yeah, that's all right. Enough in Manchester United. The vibe is so bad talking about Manchester United. Um, should we talk about FPL for a little? I mean, like, so I'm curious how how you're doing, how how your wildcard team's looking, but also like, how do you feel like being a journalist, being so close to the teams and the players, may help you in FPL, and and, and what ways would it maybe harm you in FPL? Uh, so. My history, I've worked in the Players' Tribune and I've obviously worked, I'm working now in the Athletic and I think one way that being a journalist can hinder you in, in FPL is obviously they're not just nice bodiless shirts on the screen. They're people I know. <laughs> they're yeah. people I know, they're people I've talked to, they're people I've shook hands with and had thumb wars and played rock, paper, scissors with and exchanged smiles with. So obviously, uh you know, I gave that example. I spent a week researching Shea Adams. I'm like, this kid's the real deal. And unfortunately, he's not been the, the FPL hero I want. However, I'm not going to drop him because I have every faith in that person as a human being. Right, right. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, that's like that's like fundamental FPL mistake is like getting getting too in love with the player, not adapting and changing and stuff. I, we have the problem too because we're sort of like, 
uh, on the more emotional side of the FPL podcast, you know, world or whatever. But yeah, that that I can imagine that hurting because to me they are just they're like almost imaginary professional players. You know, I live in New York. They're not even they're not even in the same time zone. Like, who are these guys? You know. And so every year, nearly every year, when he was at Manchester United, I'd pick Wayne Rooney. Um, <laughs> And, you know, that was good when Rain, before Wayne Rooney's ankle injury in 2010. And then afterwards, it was, oh, why do I do this? And I'd say this every year. I'm like, why do I do this? Why do I keep picking Wayne Rooney? Because he's like 10 million every year. He's yeah. so expensive and he doesn't score consistently. He always scores in spurts. And I said, the moment I take, and I used to say, the moment I take out Wayne Rooney, he's going to start his spurt. So I used to, I used to actively spite my FPL team cause I, and spite my own football team because I knew, well, I, you know, I say I knew. Because I went, no, I'm not going to let you score without me. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to listen to an old podcast of ours with a neuroscientist where we talk about all of the biases that hinder fantasy teams because that is a major one right there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my friend went, no, my friend, you will stay in my FPL team and we will die together. <laughs> Ride <laughs> together, die cool. together. Yep. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm having a similar thing right now with Robert Firmino. Like, uh, I know I shouldn't have Firmino in my FPL team. He is 9.5 million. He's really expensive. For that price, I can get a very good 7, mil, seven million striker and then I can get uh, another 12 million striker, a 12 million midfielder. But every year, for the last three seasons, I've picked Firmino. I'm like, why am I doing this? <laughs> why am I doing this? Well, I'm like, need, he will score. Yeah, you lack the and self-control, he has, yeah. I, I, I wanted to take him out this week, but then he scores. So, I went, so now my brain's like, aha, that's why you pick him. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, I mean, he's my favorite player. I'm a Liverpool supporter, so you don't need to sell me on for me now. <laughs> Fuck it. This is his year, right? Like, he's on fire. He is the best false nine to ever do it that isn't called Messi. Yeah, probably. I don't know football history as well as you do, but I, I love to hear that. <laughs> um, cool. Anything, anything else with FPL, or should we just... Oh, I have this... Let me look at my team for you. And I, oh, oh, uh, I actually internet stalked you, so I found your team as well. So I'm checking it out too. So you said you're going to get rid of Harry Maguire. Like, what are you doing with Jao Moutinho? Talk to me about Moutinho. Yeah, he's 5.5 million. He's, he's my idea of a cheap midfielder who's good, but he's not. He's a good football player. He's not a good FPL player, is exactly. he? Exactly. That's a big difference right there. He doesn't, he doesn't score enough. He doesn't assist enough. And he does pick up a lot of yellow cards. Yeah, and it's part of that is the team, right? He's yeah. playing for a team who have matches in, all over Europe every Thursday and then just park the bus on Sunday because all of their good players are exhausted and they play super, super defensive low block. And, you know, Moutinho is like nominally playing a 10 or something, but really he's a deep central midfielder and all of their attacking are just the two up top. Or maybe, the, maybe like the wing back too, like a Dama or something, but... Yeah, Moutinho, don't like that pick. I think you got to deal with him. Um, you said you're going to deal with Maguire. I mean, you said you're going to hold on to Jay Adams. Bernardo, I'm not the hugest fan of. Like, I'd so much rather that spot be De Bruyne, but that, you know, that takes a lot of moving around. But mm-hmm. that's what I see in your team, at least. Thank worth. you very much. I yeah. am taking notes as we speak. <laughs> Anytime, dude, just DM me or whatever that you know people are messaging all the time. But you have a lot of good picks. Like it's clear that you just wildcarded with like Lundstrom, Cantwell, you know, Aguero, Captain. That's huge. So yeah, 
Yeah, I think you'll be okay. I'll be fine. I've I've been getting better. I've improved season on season on this email. Um, it's just obviously the quality of FPL players has got better season on season. Yeah. So last season was my highest ever points total cumulatively in my FPL history. Um, and I finished lower in nearly every single league I was in. Oh my God. Because everyone's getting better. Yeah, I had a nightmare season last season, but two seasons ago it was really good. So I don't know. Two seasons ago I was really good. Uh, obviously, as every I am of the opinion uh, that the Leicester City tight winning season is non-canon. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't count for FPL. Everyone to be fair, one of my claims to fame is I started that season with Morris. Nice. So I can nice. always kind of call back to that. I was like, this guy is fucking sick. And I just put him in my game week one team and just had him for the entire rest of the season. My one was obviously last season. I just had Sterling. And I went, obviously, he's going to be good. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. He's so good. Unreal, and obviously, well, well, last year he had the very weird, peculiar quirk that his uh, percentage ownership level was terrible. Yeah, it was like, super he, low. Um, like it was, uh, we always look at top ten k stats when we're when we're on like our normal podcast, and he was he was the weird anomaly that was super highly owned in the top ten k, like the really competitive players. And then overall, his ownership was way too low. It was like in the teens, I think. It one day it will be used as a. I hope one day. There, I hope there's a very smart university student out there using that as an example of uh, racist. The effects of racism. Oh in football. my god! Absolutely. Like, Raheem Sterling's one of the best players in Europe. Yeah, football racing exists. Kinda. Prove it. Look at his FPL ownership level. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Although Salah would be the the most known guy in the counter argument, so it's like you know. True. I mean, oh god, his he gets no bonus points. I know. Well, neither of them, neither of them do. That he that's gets bonus points, so I have to captain him all the time. It's so annoying. Yeah, I know. The issue with bonus points in this game is is well documented. It's so stupid. But all right, let me ask you this one final question. I only chose one of the numerous Marvel and wrestling questions that came in because I don't follow either of those things, but I like this one, and so you can you can take take it and run with it. But Matt on Slack said, it's 1-1 at the end of extra time in the 2020 FA Cup final, Southampton versus Manchester City. Ings goes down with a broken leg. Who from the Marvel Cinematic Universe are you bringing on to take the first to take the first penalty in the shootout? Hawkeye. <laughs> He's a target man. <laughs> that was easy. Yeah, the guy with the bow and arrow who's really good at putting it on a target. Hawkeye. Yeah. Easy. Absolutely. Nailed on. All right. Now, so the question didn't spark as much as I thought it might do. I didn't. I don't know shit about Marvel, so. My friend, you must you must have a uh, much easier cinema going experience. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's super easy to to miss out on those. But you know, every time you DM me for FPL advice, maybe I'll ask for like a you know recommendation of Marvel or something like that. But um, all right, I think that's probably a good place to wrap up. It's been about an hour. So, Carl, where can people read your work? Follow you on social media. All that shit. Uh, you can find all of my sports work and sports adjacent work. So that will include FIFA and Pro Evolution Soccer and possibly fantasy football. Um, all of that will be found on The Athletic all season. 
Um, if I ever have enough time to do anything else, you might find me at Vice, the BBC, the Guardian, um, Games Radar. Uh, sometimes I'm on Polygon. Uh, but for the majority of the time, I'm going to be on The Athletic because, hooray, I got a full-time job. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> the dream. I got a pension now. It's great. Oh my god! I don't even. That's incredible. I know, right? Yeah, I'm uh, freelance. That's like way out in the imaginary world to me. Um. So you can find all my body of work on the athletic uh, there. If you ever want to find me on social media, you can find me on Twitter at Anchorman six one six. Anchorman is spelt with my surname A N K A, man, and then a the number six one six. That's a Marvel reference. Uh, my DMs are open uh, because when you work in football, that's the best way to get in contact with people. Yeah. Uh, my DMs are open. I try and respond to everything that's done in good faith. So no penises, no swear words, and no one asking me to get verified. And I'll try and get with to you in due time. Uh, and now I apologize for swearing the entire pod. Uh, you can swear what you want. We're friends. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and that's that. That's me for this season. Uh, maybe I'll see some of you at football stadiums this season. Uh, maybe I'll see some of you in the Euros up and down Europe. Awesome. Other than that, I live on the internet, so I'll see you around. Awesome. Super happy you were able to come on. Thanks so much for coming. Great. It's been great to have you. Thank you. Uh, check us out at fmlpl.com. Follow us on Twitter at fmlpl. Support us at patreon.com slash fmlpl. Subscribe, rate, and view, and cheers. Peace. Podcast Network.